tonight, Vancouver crime scene mystery. What we're learning about a bloodstained sidewalk at a house behind police tape. Plus. This man needs to step down. Um, voters and taxpayers are tired of this behavior. The new revelations that have more people calling for Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum to resign. And. It's obviously very appalling to see this happen, especially on the elderly in the community. A senior in Vancouver's Chinatown is assaulted by a stranger. Could it be linked to another racist incident? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. Nitu is off tonight. We begin with a mystery in Vancouver. Blood found on the sidewalk in front of a Vancouver home that's, behind, be, that's been behind police tape all day. Paul Johnson joins us from outside the home on East 41st Avenue. Paul, what do we know so far? Colleen, still a lot of unanswered questions here at this point. The only thing that we've been able to get confirmed by authorities is that a very serious crime happened here early this morning. Three people were taken to hospital, conditions unknown, and police are telling us there's no threat to the public at large. Now, this happened around 6.30 this morning. Anyone driving on this part of East 41st would have seen what was unmistakably a major crime scene. And also alarming was a very large puddle of blood that you can see on the sidewalk here behind me. Now, neighbors we've spoken with may be able to fill in some of the blanks here. They told us that they heard screaming around 6.30 this morning and that the woman that they recognize as being the occupant of the main part of the house was seen on the sidewalk bleeding heavily. They also told us that the man they recognize as living in the basement was led away and was arrested by police. So one working assumption in the neighborhood here is that this may have been some kind of tenant landlord dispute that escalated but again, that's not confirmed by police, and so far, they've been pretty tight-lipped about this. Colleen? Thanks so much for that, Paul. Surrey RCMP are investigating after shots were fired in a Wally area this morning. Police say someone opened fire at a home in the 13700 block of Grovner Road just before 10 o'clock this morning. A male was found with serious injuries and was transported to hospital. Officers are canvassing the neighborhood but say the shooting was likely an isolated incident. They're asking anyone with dash cam footage from the area this morning to contact them. We are learning more details tonight from the court documents obtained exclusively by Global News in the public mischief case against Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the revelations have more people calling for McCallum to step aside. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum is facing increased pressure to resign. This after Global News reported details contained in sealed court documents, which we obtained following a successful court challenge. This man needs to step down. Um, voters and taxpayers are tired of this behavior. It continues to be uh, you know, a black eye for the city of Surrey. Doug McCallum was charged with public mischief in December after he contacted police claiming he had been hit by a car in a Surrey parking lot last September. As she pulled out and, and turned right, she clipped my knee and, and my bottom leg and then ran over my foot at the same time and then took off. With the documents now unsealed, we can report that officers obtained a search warrant to secure McCallum's running shoes worn at the time. 
There were production orders for McCallum's medical records, including x-rays. Also part of the case, surveillance video from the Save on Foods and Peace Arch Hospital, and media interviews. What the ITO indicates is that the officers had viewed videotape, some of which they were still seeking, but they had viewed some, and and the story on the videotape, uh, the officers believed, did not match up with what Mr. McCallum was saying. In the information to obtain document, investigators say... McCallum provided a version of events that has been partially disproved based on the statement provided by the driver and the video surveillance obtained from Save on Foods. Also, McCallum said in a statement that he was pinned against his vehicle. The video surveillance shows McCallum was not pinned up against a vehicle. McCallum said in his statement that the driver tore away from him. Surveillance video shows the driver slowly roll through the right-hand turn and then proceed at a normal speed. McCallum said in his statement that after his foot was run over, he walked over limping. Surveillance video shows him walking in the same manner that he was walking prior to the incident. Doug McCallum's legal bills continue to be paid by Surrey taxpayers. This is not right. This is public money, and the public deserve to know how much is being spent on these legal bills. The Surrey mayor remains on the board of the Surrey Police Service. On one hand, it's kind of rich for him to say, well, you know what, Surrey has issues with the crime. Uh, We don't have enough resources. Yeah, because you're using the resources that otherwise could be going towards, you know, making Surrey a safer place for everyone. Doug McCallum's media relations person told us that because the matter is before the courts, McCallum will not be commenting. McCallum is scheduled to be tried on the public mischief charge in October, two weeks after the next municipal election. None of the allegations have been proven in court. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. RCMP and the Interior have called in the Independent Investigations Office after officers shot a man last night. Police say the incident happened in Barrier, just north of Kamloops. Officers were called when a man was dropped off at the side of Highway 5 and picked up what appeared to be a weapon. Police found him and had what they call an interaction. It ended with police shooting the man. He was taken to hospital for treatment. A plea tonight to help find a missing 17-year-old Kamloops boy. RCMP say Owen Cleveley was last seen in the 100 block of Shriner Street at about 6 o'clock Friday night. He's 5'5 and was seen on a green bike along with another boy and girl. Police say he requires a number of medications to remain healthy. He was last seen wearing black sweatpants, a red t-shirt with a Blue Jays logo and the name Sanchez on the back. He may also be wearing a Blue Jays baseball cap and a dark green or black hoodie. If you know where he is, please call Kamloops RCMP. The B.C. government has announced a $100 million package to mark the 80th anniversary of Japanese Canadians being forced into internment camps during the Second World War. Premier Don Horgan, along with representatives from the National Association of Japanese Canadians, made the announcement in Richmond this morning. 22,000 people were forced from their homes during the Second World War. Horgan says the package includes an endowment to preserve Japanese cultural heritage in B.C., not just in the Lower Mainland, but in the interior where Japanese Canadians were sent to internment camps. This endowment will not change the past, but it will ensure that generations that are with us still and those that come after 
we'll have the opportunity to see something positive coming out of what was uh, clearly a very, very dark period of our collective histories. The $100 million package will go towards survivors' health and wellness, which we've already started. We're going to ensure that the curriculum reflects accurately the events of British Columbia's history, not just Japanese internment, but also the impact of residential schools, the Kamagata Maru, and a host of other racist policies that were part and parcel of the governments of British Columbia. We were labeled enemy aliens and kept like prisoners of war in our own country till 19, April 1st, 1949, when we were finally allowed to return to the West Coast. In 1945, the war ended, and with that, the so-called security risk also ended. And the Japanese Canadians should have been returned to the West Coast at that time, but racism prevented that. The city of Kamloops has partnered with the Thompson-Nicola Regional District and the Tecumloops to Schwetmuk on a new crosswalk to honor and respect the anniversary of the confirmation of the missing. The orange crosswalk at the corner of 5th Avenue and Victoria Street in downtown Kamloops displays seven eagle feathers in a design approved by the Tecumloops to Schwetmuk Council. One year ago on Monday, ground penetrating radar detected 215 presumed unmarked burial sites on the former Kamloops Indian, Indian residential school site. These children are known as the missing. A special full-day ceremony will be held Monday at the Tecumloops Powwow Arbor. Hundreds of businesses in Vancouver are deciding how they'll respond to a new city policy encouraging electric vehicle charging installations. At present, the business case for installing EV charging at gas stations and parking lots is not strong, so we don't expect significant private investment at these sites based on current economics and policy. So a significant intervention is necessary to increase EV charging on private land. Vancouver City Council is interviewing in, intervening rather in a big way, requiring gas stations and larger commercial parking lots to install EV chargers by 2025 or see their business license fees balloon to $10,000 a year. Right now, only two out of 66 gas stations in the city offer electric vehicle charging, and you can plug in about at about 15% of the private parking lots in the city. City staff say any increased revenues would be used to fund climate emergency plans. This long weekend is the unofficial start of summer, and it was a case of hurry up and wait for many who were trying to cross the border into the U.S. this morning. Wait times were more than an hour at the Peace Arch crossing. And at the ferries, any reservations left were quickly snapped up. BC Ferries says extra staff has been hired and an additional 110 sailings have been added to try to ease the load on popular routes. Vancouver police are investigating a random attack on a senior in Chinatown. There is every indication to believe that this was uh, racially motivated. Is it linked to racist graffiti found this week at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classic Chinese Garden? And the warning after an encounter with an aggressive black bear. Stay with us. Vancouver police are looking for witnesses and want to identify a suspect in what appears to be a racially motivated attack on an elderly man in Chinatown. Kristen Robinson has more on why investigators believe the troubling incident, which happened in broad daylight on a busy street, was fueled by anti-Asian hate. 
Captured on surveillance, Vancouver police are hoping someone will recognize the suspect in an unprovoked attack on a Chinatown senior being investigated as a possible hate crime. It is obviously very appalling to see this happen, especially on the elderly in the community. The 87-year-old man out for a walk Friday morning when at this bus stop on East Pender in the heart of Chinatown, police say a stranger approached hurling racist slurs before bear-spraying the senior in the face. Staff at Livestock Shoes called 911, while Didi Mao employees helped flush the victim's eyes. He was obviously traumatized by this incident, but his injuries, thankfully, are non-life-threatening. This is indespicable, and this is something that this should not happen in our communities. The VPD investigating whether the attack is linked to disturbing graffiti recently scrawled on the gates of Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden. Shh! Seen as backlash against Chinatown residents speaking out about crime. So are they going to silence us? No. We need to show everybody what's going on down here. Between 2019 and 2021, police say Chinatown saw a 300% spike in graffiti and a 425% increase in anti-Asian hate crimes. This is not the first time, and this has to stop. This has been going on since the beginning of the pandemic, and it's unfortunate that we're still seeing these incidents happen. Police have stepped up patrols in Chinatown, where businesses would also like to see more officers pound the pavement. I think that um, you know a, a presence on the street is really important in this area right now, as opposed to just you know driving by. The VPD's hate crimes team is reviewing evidence from Friday's assault. The suspect, 30 to 40 years old, 6 feet tall, wearing a black jacket, dark pants, gray ball cap, gray shoes with red trim and white soles, and carrying a black backpack. Well, this is our community, and it should be a welcoming community rather than uh, somewhere we are so afraid of even going out for a walk. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Lots of people are enjoying the backcountry this long weekend, which raises the possibility some will run into trouble. <laughs> Members of North Shore Rescue were called out to help a hiker who fell on Mount Gardner on Bowen Island this afternoon. Because he dislocated his shoulder, BC Emergency Health Services says that he needed to be airlifted to a waiting ambulance. Officials say it's a reminder that everyone needs to be prepared for the current conditions. You're going out into the wilderness, uh be prepared, research your hike, make sure you take the appropriate gear in case you do get stuck out there for a while. You could get stuck out there later and then it gets dark, so always bring a headlamp um, up higher elevation. Has still has lots of snow up there, um, so if you are going to hike higher into the mountains, definitely be prepared to uh, encounter snow, slippery conditions, all that kind of thing. BC's Conservation Officer Service is warning northern Vancouver Islanders to be vigilant after a man had an encounter with an aggressive black bear. It happened early Friday in Port Hardy, where residents are used to bears wandering through town, but this one was unusually hostile. After what's described as physical contact with the animal, the man was able to escape with help from RCMP. Conservation officers are trying to track down the bear and have posted signage in the area. Locals are advised to travel in groups, make noise, carry bear spray, and report any bear sightings to the rap line. Bucking a global trend, Australia makes a hard left turn. And the spread of a rare disease in Canada with Toronto's first two suspected cases of monkeypox. 
And a freak storm in Ontario turns deadly as the news hour continues. Three more cases of monkeypox have been confirmed in Quebec, bringing Canada's total to five. The Public Health Agency of Canada says it's still investigating about two dozen other suspected cases of the rare disease, including in Toronto. This is the first time the disease has been detected in Canada. On Friday, Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Theresa Tam said it's unclear how widespread monkeypox has become in this country, but stressed the risk to the public remains low at this time. The long-awaited report on sexual misconduct in the Canadian military is set to be made public in the coming days. Global News has confirmed Defence Minister Anita Anand received the final report from former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour on how to best address the crisis. It comes a year after the review formally began. The allegations sparked a national reckoning over the culture in the Canadian Armed Forces. Anand has until May 30th to make the report public. Ukrainians are being allowed back into Kharkiv, the country's second largest city near the Russian border, now that Russian forces have been pushed back into that region. But residents are returning to find a devastated city that remains under threat. This gloomy basement was home to 140 people when the war started. Among them, 40 children. Some families managed to escape, others were trapped. Now the only kid left in this dystopian hideout is eight-year-old Timothy Sadov. And the women, depleted by war. Nobody gets much sleep here. Above, a brutal battle was being fought. Vladimir Putin had set his sights on capturing the city of Kharkiv. Kutuzivka was in the way. This was the front line, Petro told us. During the fighting, our house was shaking. Just 15 miles from the Russian border, it was only recently liberated. On the rare occasion, villagers came outside during the occupation. They would see soldiers, but told us they didn't speak to them. The Russian troops may have been pushed out, but their rockets can still fly in. Timothy is too traumatized to even talk about it. He must have been scared. All his friends have left the bunker. He misses them the most. Do you have a best friend? Where's your friend now? They ran away, he says blankly. Everyone here thought they were going to die. We covered our ears, said his mum, and curled up together. Today, volunteers brought food and water, and even a Rubik's cube for the little boy. It helps pass the time. He gives me a gift, one of the first pictures he drew with a cheerful, sunny sky. The colours are beautiful. Of late, it's only been monsters and tanks. For 84 days, Timothy suffered unimaginable horror. His mom told us he would scream during the shelling. He starts humming whenever she speaks about the war and seems almost too frightened to make eye contact. Australian voters have sent Conservative Party leader Scott Morrison packing, electing what will be a very different Prime Minister. Anthony Albanese, leader of the opposition Labour Party, has clinched its first electoral win since 2007. It's unclear if he'll form a minority or majority government at this point. He ran on a platform to tackle climate change, promising a 43% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2050.
With warmer weather often comes open windows, and that has health officials issuing a reminder for parents and caregivers of young children. Toddlers and preschoolers are at the highest risk of falling from a window or balcony, but it can happen at any age. Last year, 39 children in Alberta were taken to hospital because of window or balcony fall-related injuries. For the last 10 years, BC Children's Hospital, BC's Children's Hospital has cared for an average of 13 children who fell through windows. The Sharma family's son fell from a second-story window last year. It was shocking as someone just pulled off the rug under our feet. Unbelievable. And the next few hours, the next few days were even more devastating. We didn't know the outcome. But it was a miracle for us. And he survived and he's back to normal life. Baby formula destined for the U.S. from Europe arrived at an airbase in Germany today. Crews moved the first of nearly 150 pallets of the formula. They'll be on a plane for the U.S. tomorrow, making about one and a half million eight-ounce bottles of formula available to the U.S. this week. The shipments are part of the Operation Fly formula effort launched during the worsening shortage in the U.S., this issue has been compounded by supply chain issues, product recalls and historic inflation. When we come back, Yvonne has our forecast and wild weather in southern Ontario claims two lives. Stay with us. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A woman in her 70s has died after being struck by a falling tree during a wild thunderstorm this afternoon in the Toronto area. I believe she was alone when she was walking um, during the storm and, um, you know, who, who's to know that this is something that's going to happen. This is just an absolute tragic, tragic accident that's happened. About an hour away, south of Kitchener, Ontario Provincial Police say a second person died in the storm after a tree fell on a camping trailer. Wind gusts of more than 130 kilometers an hour damaged homes and knocked down trees and power lines. Thousands of power outages were reported. Nickel-sized hail was also seen falling across the region. Environment Canada says there have been no official reports of a tornado, but officials are still gathering data. One of the hardest-hit areas is about an hour northeast of Toronto. Morgan Campbell has more on that. Pam Lawson is lucky to be alive. She lives in what's left of this apartment in Uxbridge. It just started and the door pushed me back, so I, I was at, against the wall and the roof went, the windows went. It was just, it, and it, it, I don't know how long it lasted, but it seemed a long time. The 55-year-old is one of many without a home to go to. Todd Bogarts also lives in the apartment building. This is his truck. It looks like it was picked up and thrown on its side. It's like a friggin' war zone. Like it's right from here, right through to the other side of the tin mill. That's exactly what it looks like. Across the road at the historic railway station, much of the building and cars were destroyed. This was their opening day and the volunteer-led organization was already on the brink of collapse. Two of our staff were here and taking shelter in one of the trailers. 
um, and it was the only thing that didn't get destroyed on our property. In nearby York region, Musselman's Lake was hit hard by the storm. Many downed trees and power lines littered major arteries, causing road closures. We caught Wayne Steele as he rushed home to check on his house. I heard some of my roof blew off. Um, I just came from Mossport. There's uh, trailers flipped over with trucks on their side and freaked me out. I got a call from uh, a buddy of mine saying I better get home. But back here in Uxbridge, those who live here are resilient and they say they will work to rebuild. I wouldn't want to go through it again, I'll tell you. Morgan Campbell, Global News, Uxbridge. A state of local emergency was declared in Manitoba's Whiteshell Provincial Park last night, with officials saying rising water levels posed a significant threat to public safety. The Betula Lake area near the Ontario border has been evacuated. Residents in the surrounding areas are being told to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. Can you hear that thing out my window? And one person was killed and 35 others injured when a tornado tore its way through Gaylord, Michigan on Friday. It caused significant damage to neighborhoods, car lots and local businesses, whipping at speeds around 80 kilometers an hour. And in places where well, they saw egg-sized hail. Holy smoke! Yvonne. Incredible. It's just, it In really is. Incredible weather right across the board from all those stories there. Oof. <sighs> Glad to see some sunshine here. Yeah, we've been hopefully trying to string together four days of sunshine in a row. We haven't seen this in a while. And some temperatures today, the warmest that we've seen so far, even getting into the low 20s. So a nice start to our long weekend. It's been pleasant for most areas. We've had a bit of a mixed bag in the interior, the connector this morning, even still tracking some light snowfall, but it is tapering off. Now, here's a quick snapshot of what we're we're seeing temperatures are sitting at 17. We've got a westerly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. Highs today, we saw up to 17 degrees right around the average for this time of the year and a record on this day, 29 degrees. And that was set back in 1963. A few other numbers today, inland across the island, Port Alberni bumping up to 22 and into the Fraser Valley near Abbotsford with highs up to 20 degrees. Plan overnight tonight, we'll have a few clouds in the mix. Temperatures will be down to eight. We've got plenty of sunshine to kick things off for the morning hours, but through the afternoon tomorrow we do have more cloud cover that will roll in, still remaining dry and temperatures climbing up to 17. Here's the nice break that we're still seeing. It'll ease off. We've had some active weather in the interior with the risk of thunderstorms. That'll taper off tonight. The next weather maker is going to target both the north and central coast, and that'll start to pick up. We can see that on the future cast as early as the afternoon, continuing in towards the evening, and the northern tip of Vancouver Island make get clipped with that as we get in towards tomorrow night. Most areas though along the south coast will continue to see dry conditions and we are going to hang on to more cloud cover. Jetstream have wanted to put this into play by midweek. We're going to see a dip in temperatures once again and the return for some wet weather for most areas along the southern half of the province. So get out and enjoy the next two days. The northern half will see a different weather story through the afternoon tomorrow. Increase in cloud cover, rain beginning and then continuing in towards the evening. Central interior with temperatures up to 20, mix of sun and clouds. Southern half remaining dry. Nice break on the way. Kamloops even up to 23 degrees. But all areas and towards the southern interior will see breezy conditions tomorrow. Sustained winds at 20 and gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Along the south coast, a few spots across the island will see more cloud cover and we'll see that for Metro Vancouver as well. Highs away from the moderate water into the low 20s. Still seeing a bright spot to round off our weekend for tomorrow.
Colleen, long weekend, rather. Looking good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Just six months remaining until Canada's men's soccer team makes its historic World Cup appearance. The tournament in Qatar will also make history when women referees take charge for the first time. FIFA says three of the 36 referees at soccer's biggest event will be women. And three female assistant referees will be on the sidelines. Canadian Carol Ann Chouinard has worked at nine FIFA tournaments, including the Olympics and junior male events. As female referees, we've always just wanted to be considered a referee. Um, But the opportunities over the last four years have just grown leaps and bounds across the the world. So in countries where uh, female officials weren't being given the opportunities, they're being given the opportunities and they're demonstrating the quality, quality officiating in the games. And I think this is just a recognition of the quality of referees. There will be one Canadian among the roster of referees in Qatar. Drew Fisher will be working there as a video match official. That's kind of cool. Nice mm-hmm. to see the, the women doing well Getting in international sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there are NBA uh, female officials and also in the NFL. Right. None in the NHL or Major League Baseball, as far as I know. I don't believe. Not so. yet. They're getting there. Yeah. They're getting there. Uh, Whitecaps are uh, on the road in Charlotte tomorrow, and they've had to call up an emergency goalkeeper from Uh a Canadian Premier League team. We'll tell you Mm -hmm. why they had to do that uh, coming up. And also, if you love watching Connor McDavid score great goals, you got to show. You got to show it again from last night. (laughs) Guy is putting on a show in the Battle of Alberta. He really is. That's coming up. Amazing. Thanks, Barry. Also coming up, why our cooler spring weather could be a double-edged sword and the one reason that could prevent this new wildfire fighting tool from being used in B.C. Next. In parts of the interior, the risk of late spring flooding is increasing. The concern is if the region experiences a stretch of hot weather in June, it could cause the North and South Thompson rivers to rise significantly. Chad Clausen of CFJC News has more. Levels in the North and South Thompson rivers are down compared to other years. However, with an abnormal amount of snow remaining in the higher elevations, it could spell disaster in a few weeks if Mother Nature doesn't cooperate. If an an extended period of hot weather occurs, then we have the potential to rapidly melt the snow. The North Thompson is the river we need to keep our eyes on. The snowpack is 142% of normal, up from 119% on April 1st. The real change isn't necessarily that there's been that much more snow accumulating over the past six weeks. It's really the delay of the snowmelt that is the bigger story at this point. Meanwhile, the South Thompson is in better shape, with the snowpack only at 113% of normal. The current snowpack has the BC River Forecast Centre warning that the flood levels in 1948 and 1972, some of the worst in Kamloops, could happen again with the right weather patterns. Unfortunately, there is very limited snow information from that year, but it was essentially a very cold um, April and early part of May, and then that switched mid-May to to extended heat for the final two weeks of May. 1972 was an interesting year where we had uh, pretty high snowpack and uh, better snow records. We did have just kind of ideal situation where um, some heat wave uh, occurrences for a few days. A few heat waves in the spring is ideal, but Boyd says that hasn't happened, increasing the risk in the coming weeks. Boyd says it's the highest snowpack level since 2012, 
when Kamloops was hit by flooding. But he feels people haven't been thinking about the flood risks due to the cooler weather. What's interesting is I feel that it's lulled people into thinking that there is no flood concerns this year, suggesting that the colder the colder conditions are better for flooding. And they, they're better in the short term, of course, that there's been limited flooding in, in April and May. But but what the cool temperatures do, of course, is is puts us at risk if we have that heat. Jack Klassen, CFJC News. Well, from floods to flames, what could be the latest tool available to fight wildfires in difficult terrain? A final prototype of an all-terrain tank-like water-carrying machine made a stop in the North Okanagan today to show off its potential capabilities. Kimberly Davidson has more. It's the type of track vehicle that's already being used by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Canadian Army. And engineers at Canadian company, UTV International, believe it could be very useful for fighting wildfires in difficult terrain. I partnered up with a consultant, uh, an old family friend, got in touch with him. And turns out, instead of just him being a firefighter for 25 years, he was actually building fire trucks for 20 that firefighter and fire truck designer is Kelowna-based Tony Jumo, who was eager to step in and help design the unique machine. One of the things that really uh, I saw personally was a lot of trucks getting stuck in soft surface type um, areas. I, I knew there was um, definitely a home for uh, track vehicles. The tracks aren't the only interesting part of this ATV, but also how it's powered. It's a diesel engine mated to a generator. That generator charges a battery, and that's what we use for sending the power to the electric motors in each track system. It's the electric motor that gives the UTV the torque it needs to climb steep hills. Beyond that, it's equipped with a myriad of firefighting tools, including an almost 7,600-liter tank and its own suppression system. It's an ultra-high pressure. We use up to 1,500 PSI, and we can actually use it for um, cutting uh, root systems and getting right into those uh, areas where it's very hard to get. One feature that's grabbing the attention of contract wildfire crew leader Randall Squawkum is its hard-mounted fire ignition system. The flame gun would definitely help with burning a, a long stretch of ground for cat guards. A cat can make the guard and then you'd be able to drive this machine right along the same stretch. The fire chief of the Lumbian District Fire Department says he sees value in the new technology. Anywhere in BC it could have a use. But of course that value has a price. And for this machine, that's an estimated $900,000. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. Barry has sports next, plus this. Why you might be surprised to learn the company behind this hot, new, very fast electric motorcycle. Stay with us. Help support the CLEAR Foundation. CLEAR stands for Canadians for Leading Edge Alzheimer Research and is a nonprofit on a mission to eradicate all forms of dementia, including Alzheimer's disease. 100% of your donations go to funding research towards a cure. Info at clearalzheimers.ca. May is National Physiotherapy Month. Throughout the month, engage with free online resources and hear stories from BC's devoted physiotherapists to learn how they can help you feel your best going into the summer season. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the hub. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. 
Ferris here with sports, and it would have been just a perfect day today to do a little soccer outdoors, mm-hmm. a little baseball, whatever. Just get was, out there and do something. It, it was nice to have spring arrive. Thank oh, you, spring. Yes. Thank you, Yvonne and Mark, because I know they do control the weather. They do. They won't admit it, <laughs> but they do. Thanks, Colleen. Vancouver Whitecaps uh, have been forced to call up a goalkeeper from York United of the Canadian Premier League. That's because the Caps' two healthy keepers are not healthy anymore. Cody Cropper and Isaac Bomer have uh, both been placed in MLS health and safety protocols, i.e. COVID. And with Thomas Hassall out with a broken finger, they had no one to mine the net for tomorrow's game in Charlotte. But now they do. The Whitecaps are 0-5 on the road this year. They've been outscored 14-3. to The Lions will play the first of their two preseason games a week from today in Calgary. So that is coming up in a hurry, especially with the Lions missing four full days of training camp because of the players' strike. The Lions are placing the ball in the hands of young Nathan Rourke, who turns 24 on Tuesday. He'll be their starting quarterback with the retirement of Michael Riley. It's a tall order for a Canadian QB entering just his second season, but Rourke knows what needs to be done to have success in 2022. Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, to be a, a successful uh, player in this league is to be consistent. It's a long season. It's 18 regular season games plus playoff, playoffs. Um, and we showed last year that um, we just weren't consistent enough as an offense. We had some stretches um, of games where we were putting up numbers that were best in the league. Um, and uh, But ultimately, we weren't able to get it done. Um, so we know we're capable of doing that. Um, but I know that for me stepping into this role, I'm just going to have to be the most consistent player across the league and, and be able to be able to make plays consistently uh, to help my team win. And, um, and that's what I'm really looking forward uh, to doing uh, this season. Well, like many of the majors, this week's PGA Championship has turned into a battle of attrition, a combination of blustery weather and a very tough track at Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma, has seen its share of great shots. But we've also seen the world's top players brought to their knees, making a lot of bogeys and double bogeys with the uh, Wanamaker Trophy on the line. Cold, windy day in Tulsa, highs about 9, 10 degrees in the morning. Tiger Woods shot one under 69 Friday to make the cut by one. But it was a miserable day for the man who won this uh, tournament on this, uh, won the PGA back in 2007 at this exact course. It all came apart on the par three six. Tiger shot, catches the wind, finds the water, led to a triple bogey six, and it put him in a foul mood. Tiger then bogeyed six of the next seven. He had a nine over 79, his worst ever round at the PGA. And then afterwards, Tiger actually withdrew from the tournament. That's about an hour ago. So Tiger obviously not uh, physically able to continue. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin, the only Canadian to make the cut. This was his best shot of the day. The approach at the ninth lands inside five feet. He missed the birdie. Adam, five over 75, is tied 70th at nine over. Will Zalatoris had the 36-hole lead, but he did not stay there long. Chile's Mito Pereira, a rookie on tour, playing in the final pairing with Zalatoris with the long birdie at two, takes the lead at nine under. But Pereira would go on the bogey train to let others back in, including Cameron Young, another rookie on tour. Eagle here on the short par 4, 17th. He posts five under, solo fourth, just four back. But then the leaders gathered themselves, started to get some shots back. Zalatoris starts it off with a 35-footer for birdie at the 13th. So now he's tied for the lead with Pereira at minus six. But literally a minute later, Pereira regains the solo lead, answers with a birdie of his own to get to seven under. And then at the par three 14th, Pereira's tee shot 
hitting it low into that wind. This is really good. Six feet away, and he would make that for birdie. Now he leads by two. So the kids ruling the day. Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Bubba Watson, the veterans all going backwards on moving day. Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick in the hunt as well. He'll birdie the 18th, a three under 67 for him. He is at six under. But it's Mito Pereira who will sleep on the 54-hole lead. He will finish with a great birdie at 18, gets to nine under, three-shot lead on both Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris. None of the top four in the leaderboard have ever won a PGA Tour event, never mind a major. All right, World Hockey Championship, Battle of the Unbeaten, Canada and Switzerland, both 4-0. Wild first period, total of six goals scored. Kent Johnson from Port Moody end-to-end banks it in off the goalie. He meant to do that. Johnson making IIHF history, just the fourth player in history to score goals in a game at the World Juniors, the Olympics, and the World Championships all in the same year. Canada gets its third of the period. Ottawa's Drake Batherson scoring with 57 seconds left, but the Swiss actually tied it with eight seconds to go in the period. So it was 3-3 after one, and Canada had a great chance to take the lead. Look at this play by Max Comtois. Goes between his legs but it goes off the crossbar. That would have been a fantastic goal had it gone in, but it hits iron and it stays out, remains three all. The Swiss took the lead and then they put it away over the final half of the game. Pia Suter fires past Canadian goalie Logan Thompson. 6-3 the final. Swiss go to 5-0, Canada 4-1. Canada plays Denmark Monday and then Tuesday against France to wrap up the preliminary round. With any luck, there will still be five more games to go in the Battle of Alberta. Last night's 5-3 win by the Oilers featured more spectacular plays from Connor McDavid, who has somehow managed to find a seventh gear in this game. He is a Ferrari amongst the Datsuns, and last night he was in full throttle against the Flames. McDavid scored another dazzling goal. He's got 14 points in his last five playoff games, and his will to win has never been stronger. McDavid, led by example, and his fellow Oilers stars soon followed. Looking for McDavid. Bounced off the Zadora contact. In front! David's show continues on. The eighth time now Connor McDavid's had a multi-point game and it's just so difficult to stop. Protects it a little give and go and Markstrom had to be aggressive on that play. Got it's a short-handed breakaway. Zach Hyman scores! And for the first time in the series, Edmonton has the lead. Backhand Smith out to play it away from Lewis and it gets past the door off and it's a break for Dreisaitl. Leo Dreisaitl. Edmonton fights back with two in the third and they win it 5-3. The series dead even headed to Northern Alberta. All right, the other West Series, Blues and Avalanche, also tied at one apiece. Game three tonight in St. Lou. Ivan Barbashev with a huge crushing body check on Samuel Girard. Girard was shaken up. So much so he was taken to hospital and, of course, has not returned. We hope he's all right. Blue strike first. Clean face-off win. Big Colton Pareko drills the screenshot past Darcy Kemper. But Colorado has just taken the lead. 2-1 late second. Baseball today. AJ's and Cincinnati Reds from Rogers Center. Bottom of the fifth. Toronto down a run. But Bo Bichette is going to go deep. That's his 50th career home run. Ties it up 1-1. 
Gets to put on that home run jacket. Former Vancouver Canadian Alec Manoa had another great start. He's been fantastic in all of his starts this season. A season-high eight innings, gave up just one run, and again gave the Jays a chance to win. Bichette, meanwhile, was not done. Clutch, two out, two run shot to left, and the Blue Jays win their second straight over the last place Reds, 3-1. to one. They go for the sweep tomorrow. Manoa gets the win. He's now 5-1, and one, and the Jays are 22 and 18 this season. And we'll finish with a little NBA playoffs. Look who's back in the Eastern Finals. The former Raptor Kyle Lowry hadn't played in a couple weeks with a bad hamstring and makes his presence felt early with the three ball there. The Heat jumped out to a big first quarter lead. Bam Adebayo at 12 in the quarter, including this driving layup. And the Heat led 39-18 after one, and they've got a 62-47 lead at the half. Series tied 1-1. Colleen, that is it for sports. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Barry. When we come back, another company jumps on the EV bandwagon, and this one might surprise you. That story next. There of you guys have electric vehicles? I do. That one. But not the one that we're going to be talking about. (laughs) No, (laughs) probably not. And you know that EVs are really taking off when Harley-Davidson launches an electric motorcycle, one that can go from zero to 60 in three seconds. Yikes. Top speed, 177 kilometers an hour. Harley-Davidson has been developing the live wire, as it's called, for the better part of a decade, and it could be a game changer. I think it means, you know, electric motorcycles are here to these are here to stay, and it's the growth curve for these personal electric vehicles can be astronomical, and it means we're going to see a lot more of these products coming to market. Nice. Uh, yeah, if you can afford the whatever it is, 30 grand to buy it. That is global news for tonight. <laughs> Hope you have a great evening. You guys Thanks should for get some us. Harley. Yeah. <laughs> we should. You can see us on one, yeah. right? Yeah. Can't yeah. you? Together. <laughs> Carpool. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.